The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations. Be present. The Diane Ray Show. Welcome to the show, everybody. Thanks for joining me today and happy early 4th of July. We've got a long weekend coming up. I'm sure everybody's getting ready, getting excited for that, getting out and enjoying the sun and everything. It's been beautiful here in sunny San Diego, although you could probably say, oh, it's beautiful there all the time. (laughs) We're getting some nice sunny weather here and and really enjoying it. So speaking of enjoying life, you know, you want to feel good, right, to enjoy life. I was reading some studies here, you know, as recent as 2015, studies have shown that 60% of people worldwide use some form of Eastern medicine like acupuncture or herbal remedies to feel good. We're always looking for ways to feel good, right? Sometimes we're looking back on some older processes, older remedies and strategies, and sometimes we're looking forward. Uh, Many people are disillusioned with traditional Western medicine, and they're looking for alternatives like yoga for asthma relief, or trying some new things, like we've been hearing a lot about CBD oil, which is derived from the cannabis plant. So people are looking for options. They're looking for more control over their health and their treatment choices. So we're going to dive into that a a little bit today. We want to feel good for the upcoming weekend. My guest today is offering some innovative approaches to long-term healing, and he teaches self-healing skills as an alternative to conventional medicine. He also helps people transform chronic pain into personal transformation. Dr. Larry Burke is the co-founder of Duke Integrative Medicine, and he works with patients to integrate mind-body-spirit methods like EFT or tapping, also dream work, self-hypnosis, and qigong for physical and emotional healing. And I'm really happy to welcome him to the show today. He joins me from North Carolina. So thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Yeah, Diane, I'm certainly going to enjoy talking to you today and, and connecting with the audience. So appreciate being on the show. Well, we're going to dive into your work and and what you've been doing. And I was reading about your background. You've got some great information on your website, and I hope people check that out at letmagichappen.com or Larry Burke, and that's B-U-R-K-M-D.com. And I was reading how you began your holistic healing journey in the late 80s and early 90s. And you were among the early researchers in the field of MRIs. And you studied how to use hypnosis for claustrophobic patients and also the health effects of electromagnetic fields. And that kind of hit home for me because um, I had never had an MRI until just maybe about three or four years ago. Never thought I was claustrophobic until they put me into that coffin-like tube and I freaked out immediately and had them pull me out of it. So that, that was kind of scary. But I think it was it was interesting how you were you kind of trying to to help people with that, especially since I've had that experience. And also about that time, uh, your father was diagnosed with metastatic renal cancer. So you were open. I mean, a lot of Western medical doctors are not open to looking for other options and and treatments and things like that. So you were looking for answers. So I was just curious kind of what was going on in your head at that time, some of the directions that you were drawn into. 
Yeah, in uh, nine, 1987, it was like a perfect storm of events. My dad got diagnosed with cancer, and I sort of became his guide uh, on his journey into alternative uh, therapies. He explored acupuncture and macrobiotics and meditation and visualization with Bernie Siegel and, and, and that whole realm. And so I learned a lot from guiding him through the process. And at the same time, I was on the National Safety Committee for MRI, we were looking into the claustrophobia issues and the electromagnetic field concerns. And those things just all sort of came together at the same time. And I found my first metaphysical bookstore. So <laughs> all those things. It all came together. came together. And I read the book, The Body Electric, which was all about the electromagnetic fields and the foundation of life. And in that book, there was mention of his, the research that Becker had done uh, when Nixon came back from China, and there had been the big acupuncture craze started in 72 because w one of the reporters, James Reston, and his entourage had had appendicitis in, in China, got operated on with Western medicine, but then for the, his abdominal pain afterwards, they did uh, they called the acupuncturist and treated his abdominal pain. It went away. He came back, wrote an article in the New York Times. All the, the acupuncturists came out of the Chinatowns and hung their shingles out. And the, and the National Institutes of, of Health pretty much freaked out, thinking, we don't know how this works, but it must be electromagnetic. So they gave Becker a million dollars to study acupuncture, and he found out that the, the electrical skin conductivity on the acupuncture points in the classical maps, uh, the conductivity increases uh, and the resistance goes down like, like on a lie detector test over those specific points, and that's where you'd put your, your needle in. And I thought oh, this gives acupuncture an objective basis in reality. In other words, the acupuncture maps are all, all real. And that got me interested in acupuncture, and it wasn't until 10 years later when I finally got to take the UCLA acupuncture course and, and practice acupuncture. But hypnosis was early on in, in, in the late, uh, late 80s, early 90s, and that was made such a huge impact on people with claustrophobia that that was my introduction to alternative medicine really in terms of we could either give them a lot of Valium and hope that they fell asleep in the magnet and kept breathing. Breathing, keeping breathing is highly recommended. And uh, <laughs> and then they were able to, to use hypnosis under their own power. To, it was sort of a self-empowerment experience. And then they could use it when they went to the dentist the next time and they didn't have to use any drugs. So that was that was my first real experience of doing something that was an alternative to, to drug therapy. It's so interesting, isn't it? I remember, um, you know, the MRI experience that I had. And then when I went back for another MRI, I did an open one, but I did use some meditation techniques. I kept my eyes closed. And I just was kind of breathing through the whole thing. And I use meditation techniques uh, all the time at the dentist. And even my dentist commented on it because I was just kind of sitting there in meditation. And he said, you know, usually people reach for their phone or something like that you know, while I was waiting for a mold to be done. And I said, no, just let me breathe and, and meditate and, and I'll be fine. So it, it really is helpful. And I think it's interesting that you were that you were drawn to that. I mean, did you find that your colleagues or, you know, people were just not that open to exploring some of these other alternatives? Well, I always uh, made an effort to present uh, my unusual interest to my colleagues with a sense of humor so that they could they could look at me and go was he was he serious about that or was he just joking you know and so that way i again and plus i was working in 
um, in the magnetic realm of MRI, which gave me a little bit of license thinking that, well, I'm working with strange magnetic invisible fields. Maybe there are other things we don't understand. So that, that was a good entree into the whole, the whole realm. And when I, when I got to Duke in 93, uh, we were just starting the first mind-body study group which eventually evolved into the Integrated Medicine Center of five years later. And that's when I took the acupuncture course. And you were also introduced to the work of Edgar Casey and the study of medical intuition. And can you tell me a little bit about what you learned? Yeah, I was in Virginia Beach uh, working for two years in private radiology practice. And I was fortunate to meet both Norm Sheely and Carolyn Mace, uh, who, who were doing some of the early research in medical intuition. And that triggered a research interest in mine. And I've, I've spent the next 20 years being interested in, in medical intuition re- research. And I do teach a course at the Monroe Institute uh, on medical intuition and, and dreams that heal uh, with Winter Robinson, who's a medical intuitive. And that's always been a research interest of mine. It turns out to be very difficult to, to research that in a way that, that you can unequivocally prove that it works the way you know, Carolyn Mace and others, others say it does. Uh, but I, I do think that the, a good medical intuitives have a lot to offer uh, in terms of uh, getting to the root issues that, that underlie people's pain and disease. So. And do you believe that there's usually a, a, an emotional component to people's illnesses? Yeah, I, I've been looking at that ever since my dad's illness and realizing that for years before his kidney cancer was diagnosed, he was frustrated at work and uh, would gesture to his abdomen and say, I feel like I'm building up a crud ball of frustration inside me. And, and when I look back on it, I think the way he would gesture to his abdomen was about the same size as the kidney cancer was right where it was. And so I thought, yeah, there's something to the emotional uh, component to all this. And, and yet, it's also been pointed out that it's, it's more complicated than that. There's a genetic factor, there's environmental exposures, there's all kinds of toxins. And once the toxic load builds up to a, a certain uh, threshold, then you've exceeded that threshold and you get disease. So. But would you say, like, when I look at my family history, I mean, my father had Alzheimer's. Um, my mother, there's a lot of incidents in, in cancer on my maternal side of the family. But even though all of those things might be kind of the, the genetic codes might be there or the switches might be there or what, you know, I've heard people reference different things about that. It, it doesn't, my environment still has a lot to do with if something will express itself. Do you think that's true? No, no question. My, my college roommate was a twin, identical twin, who and he died of Alzheimer's at age um, in his late 50s, and his mother had had it, his grandmother had it, and his identical twin brother gave the eulogy at his memorial service. He's a high-functioning college professor with no cognitive decline. That was a weird experience watching him up there give his own eulogy. You know, so obviously there's more going on than just genetics. So. And I'm a big believer in belief. You know, meaning the effect that our thoughts and beliefs have on our healing processes. And what do you think about that? Can you talk about how our beliefs affect our biology? Yeah, no question about that. Um, the, uh, in terms of uh, the work I'm doing these days with, 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 uh, with pain, uh, a lot of 
chronic pain is connected to past traumatic experiences and it turns out that the latest thinking on, on how chronic pain manifests is the brain will substitute uh, physical pain for emotional pain it doesn't want to face. So if you have a trauma and you have beliefs around the trauma and your belief is that you want to suppress that trauma no matter what, your body's going to manifest it in a physical way until you address the underlying emotional issue and the beliefs surrounding it. And then you, your, your pain can just go away because it doesn't have a purpose anymore. I mean, I believe that fully. And I've seen instances of that just in, in people around me. Um, I remember talking to my brother-in-law who had this chronic pain in his jaw and he was just coming out of a long marriage that was falling apart that was really unpleasant. And he said, as soon as you know, that was kind of sorted out, the marriage was over, you know, the pain went away, like the TMJ in his jaw. So would you say that's, you know, not having the ability to express yourself, not not feeling that you have a voice? Uh, absolutely. It seems kind of uh, obvious, I had, but... <laughs> I had chronic pain in my left shoulder for, for uh, 20 years during my first marriage, and it, and it took me that long to figure out that it was about anger. And when I got divorced, the pain went away, and... Uh, now my, my shoulders are stronger than they've ever been uh, since college. And I, now when my shoulders hurt, I simply ask the question, what am I angry about? And usually I'll get the insight. I'll do some emotional freedom techniques and some tapping on my shoulders are very angry now. And I wonder what that's about. And then I'll usually have some insight into, oh, that was about whatever I've been fussing about for the last couple of days. And it's lodged in my shoulder. Release that. And, and now my shoulders are my ally they, they tell me when I'm angry. So uh, I use them as like a biofeedback device. I'm talking with Dr. Larry Burke today about how we can listen to the messages our body tells us and some alternative healing methods that we're going to get into. If you'd like to join the conversation, then give us a call. This is a live show, 816-251-3555 is the number to get in touch, and we'd be happy to welcome you into the conversation. So I wanted to ask you, you know, you were talking about how you're you had the chronic pain in your shoulder and, and the emotional connections to that, you know, so often when I talk to friends that are in chronic pain, and it seems like a, a lot of people I know are in pain, I mean, back pain, uh, specifically, I know so many people that have had back issues, you know, how can we really learn to listen to our bodies and embrace the symptoms as messages rather than just medicating them and anesthetizing, you know, both the the symptom and what's really happening. Well, well, one of the biggest issues right now is that the medical system, the way it's set up, <clears throat> reinforces the uh, desire that many people have is just to suppress the pain and make it go away, or in other words, shoot the messenger. And it's it turns out that we spend $600 billion a year on chronic pain uh, management uh, and, and not actually healing the pain, just managing it. And it's very lucrative business, and it's mainly pain medications, pain injections, and surgery. And none of those things have been scientifically proven to actually work at much better than placebo effect. So we're, we're and we spend more on that than we spend on cancer, heart disease, and diabetes combined. It's, it's shocking when you think about it. And the, uh, uh, I, 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 over my career, I've read thousands of MRIs of the, of the, of the low back. And the further I got into this healing journey, I'm realizing I'm looking at all these uh, damaged, you know, spines. And, and but when you actually do the research, 
and explore what's been written in the radiology literature, it turns out that if you take a, a, a thousand people, or let's just say a hundred people who are totally normal, have no back pain, and you put them in the MRI scanner, uh, about a third of them are going to have disc herniations, disc degeneration, other problems with their facet joints, and they have no pain. And so when someone comes into me and says, I've got pain because my MRI scan shows this, my usual response is, maybe, but I could show you a hundred other people who have the same thing and they don't have any pain. So that sets up cognitive dissonance in people with chronic pain. They go, wait a minute, you mean it's not the disc that's causing this? And, and really the, the bottom line is the pain is in your brain. It's not in your back. It's not in your leg. It's not in your hip. And that's a dangerous signal going off in your brain about some previous trauma. And it's, that signal loop is going to go on in your brain until you do something to interrupt it using EFT, tapping, variety of other ways of, of breaking that cycle. But that's you know, something that you know, literally millions of people are dealing with every day in this country. That's so interesting. It's really a third. So I could be sitting here and have something going on physically, but I would, but I'm, but I'm not experiencing pain, whereas someone else would with the same thing. Yeah, it's just uh, what we're looking at on the MRI scans. The older you get, the more of these things you're going to have. By the time you're over 60, the chance of having an abnormality are much, much higher. You know, uh, but even in your 40s, you still could have an abnormality. So these, what we're looking at is just a normal aging process. The wear and tear in your spine doesn't mean you have to have pain. Uh, and that pain, that abnormality could have been there for years, and then suddenly you had some emotional trauma that triggers spasm in your back, and you get the MRI scan, and you think, oh, that's that disc that's causing this problem, and it's got nothing to do with it. Right, right. Now, that's so true. I mean, I experienced that myself with some back issues, and I had some sciatic going on. And, and at the time, I was working um, for Louise Hay, um, and I... I was kind of limping around the office and she said, you're not feeling supported. And I thought, you know, I said, you know, you're right. I was thinking about it. Wow. I guess I really am not feeling supported. I, I didn't, I didn't really kind of make the connection because of exactly what you're saying. I went and I had an MRI done and I could see the doctor explained to me, well, you know, the gel is kind of squishing out of the thing here and, you know, touching on your nerve. That's what's causing the pain. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. But but I, I am really not being supported. So it, it was just interesting. That was really my first experience having any kind of chronic pain issue. I'd never had anything like that in my life. And in, in fact, I prided myself. I'm like, oh, I do yoga all the time. I can do back bends. You know, my back is great. And then I had something happen and I couldn't, I couldn't understand it. What's going on? And the, the doctor said exactly what you said. Like, well, look, you're getting older. Things are going to happen. But there, But there's other issues. And I was actually able to to heal that through, I mean, I did some, some exercises, some physical therapy, but I can see where people go down that road where you're being told you need to have surgery, you know, and, and they want to, they want that quick fix. You know, people don't want to do any kind of physical therapy or, or really look at other issues. They, they want the quick fix. And, yeah, they and you want got the, pain, the advice the pain from, the master, from the master herself. So that was, that's pretty <laughs> impressive. And, and I, uh, I, I, I have looked up the, uh, sciatica before and i had it uh, you know there's also a piece to what she'd written saying it's also about being hypocritical in some way which i i found fascinating because i had to share that with one of my former physical therapy students who came to me for sciatica and i said i framed it in such a way i said is there something you're doing that you would advise your best friend not to do in, in terms of that 
you're putting what's hypocritical sounds so bad. I just had to put it in that term for her. And she goes, oh, yeah, I'm engaged to this guy that nobody likes. I, I, I should I should break off the engagement. And so she did and her sciatica went away. So. Wow. That's the see there's and I'm sure you have so many instances from all of the years of working with people that you see these things come up. And then as as a doctor, you must just connect the dots and go, OK, I, I can kind of make make these mind body connections and, and see what's happening. But people still seem to be resistant to to look at that. I mean, even when that happened in my in my case, and when Louise said that you're not being supported, and I just realized how much I was stuffing down, that I really I really felt, oh, I'm doing all this, I'm not getting help, and I was angry and resentful because I yeah. I felt like I wasn't being supported. So it, it was just it was interesting when that little that light bulb went off um, to what was really happening. Now I wanted to ask you too when you when you're dealing with patients. Um, and there is a diagnosis or, or a serious issue, you know, or life-threatening illness or something like that. What approach do you take for not having people panic or, you know, make bad decisions in a situation like that? Well, I, I tend to counsel them that, you know, do whatever you're guided to do from an integrative medicine point of view in terms of conventional drugs surgery, whatever you think you need, uh, and then do the, the emotional work and the spiritual work, and you know, the two are not mutually exclusive. It's like, you know, um, and the one thing that was a big shock in my, in the Dreams That Can Save Your Life book, where I'm having all these amazing uh, uh, women in my breast cancer research project uh, who are dreaming about their breast cancers, uh, they would also dream how to heal after they made the diagnosis. And I was amazed to find out that most of them were dreaming about chemotherapy and radiation, not uh, this herb or, or that acupuncture treatment. Uh, so they were actually getting dream guide, intuitive dream guidance to, to do certain types of conventional medicine and, and how to do it and what the dose was and everything else. So I was like, wow. So would you say, I mean, are, are you kind of a, a proponent of, you know, get as much information as you can and get second opinions um, you know, if, if there's some, I mean, personally, if I had a life threatening illness or something, which thankfully I, I haven't gotten that, that diagnosis, I mean, I would try, I think I would try everything, you know, Western medicine. Um, I would try meditation techniques, you know, I might dance around a tree or chant. I mean, I don't know, you know, yeah, I think, I, I think I would try everything, you know what I mean? And if you want to get guidance on what to choose, a dream journal is a good place to start. You know, write down a question in your dream journal every night about what what should I do next? You know, should I take this herb? Should I take this diet? Should I, uh, should I do this conventional therapy? And it's amazing the kind of things you'll get from that. And, and other people can get access to that when they're awake through their intuition. Or you can always consult, uh, you know, a medical intuitive or an intuitive counselor. And you know, I, I think of that as an intuitive second opinion. It's like usually a good intuitive will kind of confirm what you've already been suspecting, but maybe we're in denial about. <laughs> right. No, that's so true. And I think we really are our best advocates and kind of the judge for what's going on in our bodies. And I think so often women won't want to speak up. You know, we won't want to say. Like, this is really what's happening. And I'm sure most people, 
men and women probably wouldn't want to talk to their doctor about a dream. So I wish you were a doctor here in California so I could go with you and talk about this. I mean, I'd like to get into that a little bit more because I think that study that you did with women in breast cancer and their dreams is just so fascinating because I've kept a dream journal for a long time, you know, on and off over the years, and I write down my dreams. And and I've found just the act of getting in the habit of, of doing that, even writing down just a little snippet of what you remember, is so helpful. You know, to, in, for, your rec- for your recall, you know, the more you write it down, the more you'll remember. Would you agree? Yeah, you just need to get in the habit of doing it. And also, by writing down a question every night, you're telling the dream world you're open for business. And then you'll start getting a response. So, because uh, some people say, "Oh, I don't remember our dreams." Well, have you been asking, you know, consulting the dream world in a serious way to, to get that feedback? And once you start doing that, it it becomes uh, just a routine part of your life. So, do you you find people just raise an eyebrow when you bring that up, or? No, most what, people what are pretty your... fascinated by it. Yeah, they're going, oh, yeah, I have dreams, and, and, and I never never attribute enough significance to them. But yeah, and then you ask them, have you ever had a dream that comes true? And they, many people will confess that they've had a precognitive dream. You know, I, I think that's that's so interesting. I mean, I always pay attention to my dreams, and although a lot of times it's just kind of, it seems like what's the word garbage <laughs> like like junky process throughout the day and then it just comes out at night i mean i wish i had more of clarity i guess or or a precognitive ability do you think that's a natural uh, trait for people to someone someone to have more of a of that ability than others I'm, I'm sure it's all on a spectrum but it's also something you can cultivate just just by intention and, and doing uh, the, the daily practice of, 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 you know, setting the intention and then paying attention when, it, when the dreams show up and making the effort to hold still when, when you wake up and recall, did I have any dreams? And if, if you, they wake you up in the middle of the night, by all means, write them down before you go back to sleep. Yeah, getting in that habit really makes a difference. We're going to take a short break in about a minute, and there's so much more that I want to talk to you about, some of the work that you've been doing uh, with EFT and tapping, and we'll get into that uh, after the break. We're going to take a short break in just a minute. And I hope that people uh, tonight, you know, think about it. Write down your dreams and see what comes up, you know, what kind of uh, imagery or um, people actually talk to me in my dreams, which... Some people say they've never had. I have conversations all the time. I don't know. Is that weird? (laughs) Excellent. I love when that happens. (laughs) I do too. I like it. So we'll take a short break. We'll be right back. If you'd like to join the conversation, 816-251-3555. My guest today, Dr. Larry Burke. We'll be right back. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. As Unity Online Radio continues to expand its programming and outreach around the world, we depend on the generosity of listeners like you. If you enjoy the programming, Please make your donation today by going to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate. Thank you for your support.
Here's Reverend Paul Hasselbeck with a Unity Teachable Moment, taken from a talk at Unity on the River in Amesbury, Massachusetts. All good is defined as divine mind, God, and I love this, the principle of divine benevolence that permeates the universe. So God is not good like a Boy Scout or a Girl Scout. God is the good, the principle of benevolence. And benevolence is basically the disposition to do good or to treat others well and things like that. And so, so in that moment, when, you, when you're not wanting to offer grace to somebody, you can remember at the very point of you is this principle of benevolence. And as we remember that, we can draw on it and then we use that principle to offer grace. To find more from Rev. Paul Hasselbeck, visit the radio archives at unityonlineradio.org. Time is running out on the early bird discount to travel with Unity to Rome and the Amalfi Coast next spring. You'll tour the countryside with guides to the history, the food, the Vatican, and of course the Sistine Chapel. Explore charming villages and maybe enjoy some Italian wine. Space is limited for the tour group and it's filling fast. Register by September 15th for the discount. Go to unity.org slash Rome 2020. Congratulations to Unity Books for winning honors as Best Small Press from the Nautilus Book Awards. Two books published by Unity are also winners of the prestigious Nautilus. Stations of the Cosmic Christ by Matthew Fox won a gold medal. And Andrew Harvey's book, Turn Me to Gold, One Silver. The Nautilus Award celebrates books supporting spiritual growth and positive social change. Find these award-winning books at unity.org slash shop or on Amazon in print or ebooks. Experience everyday peace with Dr. Drayvon James every Monday at 4 p.m. Central here on Unity Online Radio. In today's busy world, it's easy to get overwhelmed and disconnected. Tune in to the show for practical tips on how to handle whatever life throws at you. Dr. James welcomes some interesting guests and will help you get through any challenges you have with grace. Join the show live or listen later on demand right here on unityonlineradio.org. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Be Present, the Diane Ray Show. Thanks for joining me through the break. I'm Diane Ray talking to Dr. Larry Burke today about his work from pain to personal transformation. Uh, We were talking about uh, dreams and the work that he did, really a fascinating study, and I didn't know about this, a research that he did on women who had uh, warning dreams or precognitive dreams about breast cancer uh, before, and I guess maybe even during their, their diagnosis or their treatment, just really fascinating stuff. So I wanted to ask you about just the, the current system of, healthcare that we're in right now, a lot of people call it sick care. You know, we don't really deal with with people until it's too late, you know, or until the symptoms are are so far gone. I mean, what do you think about that about working with people and some of the techniques that you use, you know, before things get get out of hand? Do you think we're just dealing with sick care instead of health care? Well, since I've been a radiologist for 35 years, I've been immersed in the high tech, you know, diagnosis uh, uh, world for for a, a long time, 
but the real irony um, is that when you think about the symbol of modern medicine, uh, it's the cross with the Asclepian uh, rod and snake on it, uh, which, of course, most people have totally forgotten that Asclepius was the god of medicine and healing in ancient Greece, and people would make pilgrimages to the temples uh, with health concerns to incubate a dream and then to share the dream with the priest the next morning and see if they could come up with a prescription as, as to how they would heal. So that's thousands of years old, and we're, we're slowly starting to recover, uh, rediscover dreams as uh, potentially important and, and, and a way that we can learn to heal ourselves, uh, whereas the system is basically supporting people being dependent on technology and, and, and big pharma and ways of suppressing their symptoms rather than getting the message. And you can treat your symptoms as if this was a waking dream and interpret your, your waking symptoms in your, in, in your life when you're awake as if they were, it was a dream. And you can treat the dream symbols the same way. You can get information either way from your symptoms or from the dream symbols about guidance about what you need to do next. So I think uh, this is a, a, a great time to see this kind of reemerging into the consciousness. And I, I was glad to be able to do the research project, the Breast Cancer Dreams Research Project. And if people want to know more about that, I have a TEDx talk on my homepage that you can watch. And it's actually a censored TEDx talk because Ted thought that it wasn't scientific enough for their scientific criteria, although it was just a pilot study. And there was no control group, and I admitted that it was just the first foray into this, this realm of, of research, and much more research is needed. But you can still watch the talk, and then there's also a link on my website, the Larry Burke, uh, com or LetMagicHappen.com. There's a link for how to keep a dream diary right next to the, the TEDx talk. And, and then uh, and there's a link to the original paper. And I'm doing more research at Duke now on women who have breast biopsies and, and finding out what their dreams are before their biopsies. Well, I, actually, this is so timely because uh, one of my good friends in Florida just had a biopsy this week. And I want to ask her about that, about any dreams that she might have had or, or information that you know, maybe she disregarded. And I think people should pay more attention to those things, you know, really tune into our, our bodies and our thoughts and feelings a lot more than we are. And when was that study done? Was it recently within the past few years? Uh, yeah, I started in 2013. And I published it in 2015 in the journal Explore, the Journal of Science and Healing. And it is a peer reviewed scientific journal. So if you want to share it with your doctor, and if you have a dream, take a copy of my paper and say, look, there's at least something in the medical literature about this. And there's more research uh, being done. And the, the, the other good news about that study was of the 18 women who dreamed their breast cancer, uh, they're all still alive at the moment. Um, and, and it seems like the ability to dream, uh, the, the information about your breast cancer also uh, maybe gives you the potential to dream guidance for your healing. And many of the folks uh, in the study would have a dream about the cancer, go in for their mammogram, and, and a couple of them, the mammogram was normal. And they said, well, no, I'm pretty sure I still have breast cancer. And, and one of them demanded an ultrasound, uh, and the ultrasound 
uh, much the radiologist's uh, reluctance, it, it didn't want to do the ultrasound. But when, when the patient said, I won't leave till you do the ultrasound, and, and pointed right where in the breast where, where uh, she should do it, and even though she had no lump or anything, and they found, found the cancer with the ultrasound. And so sometimes you have to really be uh, have a sense of conviction about about the importance of what's in the dream and, and pursue it whether or not the, the conventional uh, diagnostic system is showing the results or not. Even one woman had a biopsy without anything showing up on her on her her, her X-ray studies. Uh, she found a very open-minded surgeon who said, "Your dreams sound very convincing, but I don't see anything on any of your studies that, that would show me." Uh, that you have definite cancer or that I should biopsy it. So he gave her a magic marker and she put a dot on her breast where the um, cancer was. He took the needle out and put it right through the dot and hit the cancer. Wow. That's amazing. I mean, that, that really is, uh, you know, kind of makes you wonder what, you know, what's going on and why we're suppressing all this information that we have within our bodies. I mean, we could really, we could really pay a lot more attention. And you know what I imagine sometimes is like, I think back to, you know, even centuries ago and how medicine men and shamans, how they treated people, you know, I mean, it must've been what we would call energy healing or something like that today, or really paying attention to dreams and things like that. And then as we got more industrialized, we kind of swept that, that wisdom away but now we're starting to look back at it and see where we can integrate it with the wonderful advances that we have in, in Western medicine today. So I really like being able to work with, with both of those things and, and the work that you're doing. And I want, you know, while we have time, I wanted to mention um, getting in a little bit to the EFT, because I have to admit, now I was a big skeptic of, of EFT. You know, I thought it was just like, a, oh, this is a parlor trick. You know, this can't work. But I've, I've really seen some uh, amazing healing, you know, and especially in dealing with anxiety and emotional issues with EFT. So I just wanted to get your experience and maybe explain to people who don't really know what, what it is, what tapping is. Yeah, I mean, since, since I'm not a psychotherapist or a psychiatrist, my main interest with EFT is on physical illnesses that have emotional connections. So, uh, for example, uh, frozen shoulder is a pretty classic one. Uh, where it comes on, pain in your shoulder, uh, no explanation, no injury, and it gets worse and worse, and finally your shoulder completely freezes where you can't use it at all for, for up to several years. And I had one of those myself in, in 2006 when I was very angry uh, as a political activist at that time in our, in our history. So I was a political activist, got very angry. The anger got stuck in my shoulder, and I, I started getting a frozen shoulder. I knew enough about tapping at that time that I could use emotional freedom techniques to release the anger on my shoulder and heal up in a couple months instead of uh, a couple years. And the best metaphor I use for how tapping works is uh, every trauma you have in your whole life, emotional upsetting event, is like a malware program that gets downloaded into your meridian system and into your nervous system, up into your uploaded into your brain, in the limbic system in your brain where all your emotional processing goes on. There's a file up there for every trauma you've ever had. There's a picture, a story, and this malware program that, that runs your body back to um, b- back to the, the, the scene of the uh, of the event. And and for example, in a military um, uh, person, they would have um, a flashback to Iraq, 
and it would take them right back to the battlefield. Their body would feel like they were there. So what we want to do with EFT is just simply run, find the file name, that trauma that I had years ago, and run that program, the malware program, long enough to, to the start hitting the delete key on your acupuncture meridians on your face and your chest and you're deleting the program and uninstalling the program and when you're done you should be able to go back and look in that file uh, there'll be a picture and a story but the program that runs your body will be gone and that's the definition of emotional freedom so so well you can actually delete that i mean can you de- really delete that experience as far as its physical m- manifestation in your body exactly you still have the memory of it you still have the the, the, the story, the picture, but when you go back and check it, and that's what we do after every session, you go back and, okay, go back and check to see if the, what, what your body feels about that um, particular file name or the, or the phrase you're tapping on. And if you can say that phrase and you don't feel it in your body, then that's, that, that's the definition of freedom. And, and generally, if you can get that number on a scale of zero to 10 where 10 is the worst thing that ever happened to you to go the whole way down to zero it doesn't uh, come back up and and you're basically have uninstalled that program for good now when i started this in 2002 there was only one scientific paper on uh, a randomized controlled trial on tapping and that wasn't really very strong evidence but now 15 years later there are over 50 randomized controlled trials and really robust scientific evidence that tapping really does work. And a friend of mine just published a book from Hay House called The Science Behind Tapping, uh, Peter Stapleton, that just came out last year. And the evidence is there, and it's starting to move into the mainstream in a much bigger way. There's a World Tapping Summit every February, which usually has six or six or 700,000 people online all over the world. It's been taught in most major disaster areas, uh, hurricanes, tsunamis, earthquakes, uh, and even even genocide victims in Rwanda have done tapping. So it's uh, it's becoming much more mainstream. Uh, athletes are using it in NCAA baseball uh, World Series, things like that. So it's it's starting to happen, and and I think it's going to eventually start having more and more an impact on physical illness, which is what I'm interested in. No, I'm interested in that as well because I. You know, when when I talk to people about it or I've mentioned it, like, hey, you, you might want to try this. I mean, you're right in the fact that it is definitely a lot more well-known and in the mainstream than it was, you know, even just five or six years ago. I have more people asking me about it, like, hey, have you heard about this? But I was always really curious of, and since you're a medical doctor, you know, really, um, you know, experience with the physical body, I mean, can you see, you know, things knit back together or heal themselves. I mean, if there's a real issue like that, I guess I'm, I'm an, I don't think someone should tap for a broken arm, right? I mean, uh, yeah, no, obviously not. <laughs> obviously. But, but, uh, but, but what I look at uh, are the, my three most things that I'm most interested in working with are uh, connected to the big three emotions, uh, grief, fear, and anger. And so anger is really connected to pain in, in a deep way. So the sh- frozen shoulder is often when you're really angry about something and you repress it. Uh, ironically, it's most common in middle-aged women who are probably angry at their husbands and want to punch them in the face, but 
that's not socially <laughs> acceptable. So they're going to freeze no, no, their shoulder not. instead. Okay, and and so and and it turns out that when you look inside the shoulder of someone for the shoulder, the synovial lining of the joint is angry red. It's a perfect metaphor for what's going on. So and you can reverse that process with tapping, like I did in, in a matter of weeks. Whereas most people will go on for, drag on for a couple of years, and they might have surgery or do some other desperate measures for it, and it's. Uh, it's it's when it's really just a metaphor for the anger and if you look at the other two emotions fear uh, we see a lot in autoimmune disease um you know really what's going on is you have a deep uh, insult to your body sense of safety and so what does your immune system do it just goes nuts uh, shooting wildly at, at, at like you know, think of think of somebody with a gun just blasting away at, at, they can't really see what they're shooting at but they're going to keep shooting they keep hitting all kinds of uh, their friends and, and family and and, uh, and all the other organs in your body. So um, so that's the metaphor for autoimmune disease is is uh, is pain is uh, is fear. And I've I've been working in the volunteering in the Duke Lupus Clinic for the last month. And it's also interesting when you interview these people, they have really violent dreams. They're killing people in their dreams in self defense. And it's a perfect metaphor for what's going on in their body. And that gives us something to work with from the EFT point of view. And the final um, emotion that I really uh, find is very useful to deal with is, is grief, particularly people with sin- sinus conditions, post-nasal drip. It's, Louise Hay said it was inner crying. So the metaphor is the tears are getting stuck in your sinuses. They're running down the back of your throat and they're going into your lungs. So in Chinese medicine, the lungs are the organs of grief. So if you got sinusitis, you got grief to deal with. If you got pain, you got anger to deal with. And if you've got autoimmune disease, you've got fear to deal with. And what about shame? I would think that's a real um, something that people bury deep down that would manifest physically. Have, have you ever worked on anything like that with those feelings? Yeah. And you can look at them in terms of the different chakras that are involved and that the the root chakra, first chakra, is is where the where the fear is. It's all about safety. Uh, second chakra is more about the anger. Uh, think of a toddler, and the chakras develop in chronological order. So the first one is when you're an infant. The second one's your toddler. What does the toddler do if they feel safe in their first chakra? In their second chakra, they're going to want to reach out and grab stuff and, and get stuff and, and take action. And then they're going to be told no and what, they're going to get pissed off. You know, <laughs> So they're going to get angry. And then uh, if you don't integrate the first two chakras, when you get to the third chakra, that's where your self-esteem and shame issues live. And if you think about people with uh, diabetes and, and obesity, that's all in that third chakra. And that's, that's about the, those are the, where the shame issues come up. And then finally, when you get to the fourth chakra – you're dealing with the grief. So uh, that, that's where those f- add shame as, as the fourth big emotion. And, and I do a lot of work with tapping with people at the weight loss clinics here at Duke uh, about uh, tapping for food cravings and, and weight loss. And what would you say for people with digestive issues, you know, things that you're holding on in your or things that manifest in your in your stomach, like in your gut, you know, you hear a lot about oh probiotics, and you know, people are actually looking at the um, what do they call it, like the third brain of what's actually happening in your gut. Yeah, I mean, and the sort of the spectrum there is irritable bowel syndrome is more of a chronic pain condition in your gut. 
so, so that's going to be all about the anger and, and uh, accumulated trauma in, in your gut. But when you get to the inflammatory bowel disease like Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, that falls more into the autoimmune category where you're dealing with, with more uh, fear. So both of those, you have to figure out whether you've got inflammatory disease or irritable bowel syndrome to, to sort that out. But when you see these ads on TV, you know, I'm sure you have, there's a million of them. Um, I, I can't even think of a name of one right now because I just think of the little cartoons. Um, I mean, what do you think about that where if people took more of a look at at their at their energy system, their chakras, where things are really manifesting? I mean, this this is really such a, a big business. Well, you know, yeah, big, unfortunately – yeah, we're only one of two countries in, in the world that allow direct advertising to consumers. New Zealand and the United States are the only two places where you're allowed to do that. And, and things have taken a definite turn for the worse in the last 20 years since that started because, uh, I mean, what happens? If you, if you watch the evening news, almost every commercial is a drug commercial. So you watch upsetting stuff on the news and then they tell you, oh, if you're anxious, take this pill and, you know, it'll have these side effects. But, but the two things we – we value most in this country are suppressing our symptoms and and after that is is suppressing our fear of death those are our two big things that we don't want to deal with and those would be the shadow issues and the jungian uh, archetypes and and so we pay a huge price for suppressing our fear of death and suppressing our fear of symptoms and all the complications we get from the drugs all the money we spend uh, you know, attempting to shoot these messengers when, uh, when really it's a part of life that we need to be able to integrate uh, into our soul journey. So, oh, I, I totally agree. I mean, I just think of what I went through with my father as he was kind of nearing uh, end stages of Alzheimer's, and he fell, and the doctors wanted him to go through a hip replacement surgery, and I thought, for what? Why, why are you going to wow. put this man, you know, <laughs> I mean, we had to fight uh, against it. Uh, you know, why would you put this man through hip replacement when he's in, he doesn't even know what's, what's going on. You know, he's, yeah. he was in end stage Alzheimer's and I totally agree with you where we need to talk more openly about, you know, how to have a, a good death and, and hospice care. And then it's a natural part of life and to make people more comfortable with it than to do all these outstanding things you know, above and beyond just to make money, just to operate when the end result is, is probably not going to be, you know, I, th I think a lot of times we actually treat our animals better in that regard. Yeah, And also, if you look at what doctors do when they get sick, they don't do any of that stuff. They know better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? See, we need to find out the truth, you know, pull, pull back the curtain and find out what's going on. It's been so great to talk to you. Um, you know, you just are so knowledgeable on all of these, um, you know, all of these different modalities. And I want to tell people about your retreat that's coming up while we have a, a few minutes left of the show here. So you've got a workshop coming up at the Art of Living Retreat Center that's in Boone, North Carolina. And it's this month, the 26th through the 28th. So there's still time for people to participate if they would like to, right? It's not too late. Absolutely, yeah. Um, it's in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains, up on actually on the retreat center is on top of a mountain, and it's got a, a wonderful uh, cafeteria with the best vegetarian Ayurvedic uh, Indian food that I, I've had, and we'll be doing uh, a little bit of educational lecture on on pain and, and tapping and dream work, but then on Friday night, but then on uh, we're also going to give people 
instructions on how to keep a dream diary. Then the next morning we'll be we'll be having people actually work with uh, their dreams after breakfast. Then we'll do uh, a lot of EFT and tapping and 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 go through the pain, the grief, and the, and the um, autoimmune issues during the day, and have people volunteer to, to be uh, test subjects so the group can learn how I do this one-on-one with people. And then uh, we'll do more of the same on uh, Saturday, again, have another dream session and another tapping session. And it should be a pretty dynamic uh, experience for people. Also do a little bit of qigong, uh, five animal frolics uh, to get into the, the Chinese five elements and also discuss the how the chakra systems play into the whole conversation as well. And I am looking forward to as many people who want to come and do some intense healing work and, and deep dive in, into their uh, uh, emotions that, that they want to heal. That would be just a great opportunity for that. So people have to come in and really be willing and open to maybe dig up some stuff that they haven't wanted to face in many years. Yeah, I mean, if that you could want be to a little off- scary. <laughs> yeah, it can be a little scary, and if you, it takes some courage. But if you want to get off your, your pain medications, uh, the only uh, uh, the old military or football slogan is the only way out is through is, is true. You got to face your worst fears and move move beyond them, and we'll do that in a safe uh, container uh, at the retreat, and and it'll give you a, a jump start on your healing process. And it sounds really experiential too. Like people aren't just going to sit there and listen to a boring lecture. Exactly. There'll be a little bit of lecture just to give you some background that you need uh, and to entertain your left brain for a little while until your right brain can take over the healing process. Right. And really take people through some of these processes. And you'll teach them, you know, all the EFT points and how to, you know, how to do all of that, you know, like go through an actual EFT session. So where they could do it themselves. Yeah, we'll do multiple group sessions and also individual sessions. And by the time you're done with the weekend, you, you should have enough knowledge about dreams and uh, EFT to go home and keep working on, on healing yourself. Well, it sounds amazing. And I hope people check it out. You know, they still have some time if they want to go and spend a weekend up there. And, and it's got to be really beautiful. I mean, the weather is going to be a lot cooler up in the mountains. Yeah, it's prime time, prime time there. So it'll be, and it's, it's, I've been there twice before and it's, it's been a wonderful experience both times. And, uh, uh, yeah, so, um, I'm sure we'll have an interesting group of people who, who decide to come. Well, usually it's people that are really open to learn, learning something new that they're going to ask questions. And I mean, I bet you're going to get a really amazing group of people to, to check this out. So I hope they go there and and give it a shot. I mean, I, I would love, I would love to do it. I've done some tapping uh, in the past on my own, but I'd like to dig back more into the dream work. So, I mean, when you're doing a dream journal, what, what do you tell people to do? Like what I thought was not the best thing is trying to get a narrative for a dream. Cause it doesn't seem like there's a beginning, a middle and an end, you know, they, they jump around where you'll be dreaming of one thing. Then the scene will totally switch. Do you tell people maybe to just remember one piece of it clearly and write that down? Well, I have them write down everything they can remember, but when they're actually working with it with in terms of I use the tapping with the dreams and, and I'll have them look back through the dream and look for the most disturbing part of the dream. Whatever bothers them the most, that's what you want to tap on uh, because your dream is basically telling you when you have a scary nightmare – 
It's just telling you, you got to work on this. If you have a really healing, wonderful dream, it tells you you're on the right track. So you just use the scary dreams to, to, to do a course correction. And the tapping will help you do that. And what if you can only remember, I mean, sometimes when I have a dream, I just remember the feeling. Like I'll wake up and say, I've, I felt disturbed by this, but I can't remember exactly. Sometimes if you start working, writing it down, more pieces will come back when you're in the shower. If you have the intention to remember it, sometimes you'll get exactly what you need. And even sometimes just working with an image or a dream fragment is enough to, to get the message that you need. And when you studied the Edgar Casey work, did he do a lot of dream interpretation? Yeah, Edgar Casey was sort of, uh, his position was, this is the voice of God talking to you, better pay attention. And they, they called him the sleeping prophet, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> That's so interesting. It was so great to meet you, Dr. Burke, and and I hope our, our paths cross again uh, very soon. And I hope people go to this event. I mean, I think it would be so valuable if you're looking to uh, get out of chronic pain. You know, maybe you've talked to a couple of doctors, you're thinking of surgery, but you're not sure you want to do it. You know, there are alternatives. So you don't have to go under the knife necessarily. So head to letmagichappen.com or larryburkemd.com. Check that out. And for the event, go to the Art of Living Retreat Center and look up Dr. Larry Burke. And thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks much. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to ignite your best life and illuminate the world? I'm Stephanie James. I'm a motivational speaker, transformation coach, and psychotherapist. And what lights me up is helping people just like you create the greatest versions of themselves. On my podcast, Igniting the Spark, I will help you ignite your joy and reach new heights in your personal and professional life. Join me for some incredible conversations with authors, spiritual teachers, and other influential thought leaders to help guide you on your way. If you are ready to stop playing small, join me for Igniting the Spark, on the mindbodyspirit.fm network or wherever you get your podcasts and ignite your best life.